introduction tonight because I'm the one preaching. Unless, like, someone wants to run up and give me an intro. I mean, I'm fine with that, too. It's okay. There's, there's grace. Sorry, John. All right. Okay. How are you guys doing tonight? All right. So if this is your first time tonight, we want to welcome you to Friday Fire. And so, uh, hey, let's bless our brother John for leading praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just felt like the, yeah, the spirit of the Lord is in the house. And so it was, it was really good. I was really blessed by my roommate. John is my roommate. For you guys that didn't know, I live like this far away from him. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. So my name is Marcus. I'm one of the intern pastors here at New Philadelphia Church. And so tonight, I believe I have a special word for each one of you from the Lord. So, uh, Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. How about we all open up our Bibles to the book of Matthew. I don't know if you guys knew this, but it's in the New Testament. It's before Mark. And how about we all turn to the 22nd chapter? The name of this message tonight, if you are taking notes, is Perfect in Love. Mm. Hallelujah. And I want you to go to verses 36 to 40. I think I've preached from these verses before. You've probably heard these verses come out of my mouth before. You'll hear them again. Hallelujah. All right. So when you're there, let me hear amen. All right. So let's read it all together. Verses 36 to 40. One, two, three. She Which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. How about we all bow our heads and I'm going to say a word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you, Lord God, for tonight. We thank you, Lord, that this is a night that you have set aside and have appointed in eternity, Father, for that, that tonight, God, we would have a new and fresh revelation of who you are, God, and the life that you're calling us to live, Lord. Father God, I thank you, Lord God, for each and every person, Lord, that you brought here tonight, God. And I pray, Father God, that, Lord, your Holy Spirit... Well, Lord God, begin to, Father God, rest upon each and every person, Lord, beginning to open up their hearts right now, Father God, to receive the word of the Lord, Lord. I pray, Father God, right now, Lord God, against every spirit of distraction, every spirit of fatigue, every spirit of the enemy, any unclean spirit, I pray right now against, in the name of Jesus, I bind and I cast out of this place. I command you, be gone in the name of Jesus. I pray right now, Lord God, that there will be a loosening, Lord of love, of grace, of anointing, Lord, in this place, Father God, for your word to go out and to produce a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold. I pray, Father God, that, Lord, you would anoint my lips tonight, God, that, Father God, I would not speak out of selfishness or out of vain conceit or ambition, but that, Lord, I would speak, God, to you, to an audience of one, Lord God, Father God, that, Lord, love would arise in this place. Father God, we want love to arise in this place, Lord. So we pray, God, that, Father, in this place, you will begin to quicken love in each one of our hearts. Where we've been discouraged, Lord, where we've been broken down, quicken love, Lord. Your love never fails, God. Quicken it in this place, in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, for tonight. We thank you in advance, and we are filled with praise. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hallelujah. So, staff is already hot up here. This happened, this happened on Sunday, man. This ain't on. One second. Ow. All right. Okay, so, so like I said, tonight I'm preaching on being perfect in love. So some of, 
most of you guys, or a good portion of you guys were here this past Sunday at our Sunday service. And I preached about what it meant to stand in our identity. I preached about what it meant to stand in our identity. About the importance of our identity. The importance of being, as in who we are. And how it relates to being effective kingdom workers here on this earth. If you remember that message, let me hear amen. Okay, so some of you guys were here. If you weren't there, check it out on the podcast. So, <laughs> so talking about what the kingdom is about. What is the will of the Father upon this earth? And the will of the Father is to see His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The will of the Father is for us as His children to be fruitful and multiply. For us to be fruitful and multiply and to go and what? Make disciples of all nations. I preached on Sunday about, about Adam, right? And see, from Genesis on, it has always been about the glory of God spreading onto all creation. It's all about the knowledge of God increasing in the earth. To see His kingdom come the, and the establishment, the initiation of kingdom things on this earth. As it is in heaven. See a lot of times when we think about the kingdom coming. And his will being done. We like to think of the second coming. Right? We think about Jesus. But a lot of times we don't think about Jesus. Initiating his kingdom. Here on this earth. But see Jesus isn't coming back. Just to swoop us away. He's coming back to reign and establish. A new Jerusalem here on this earth. Heaven here on earth. And you know what? We're called to be His hands and feet. To dust off the floor, to rearrange the furniture, to get this place ready for the King. That's what He's calling us to. To see His kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But that we, in His love and grace, He wants us to take part in that. You feel what I'm saying? Let me hear Amen. Alright, so we're not waiting. A lot of people in the church want to just wait. They just want to sit in church and wait for Jesus to come back. But we're not called to wait. We're called to be in eager expectation. We're called to walk it out. We're called to be those vessels on this earth. To see change happen now. To see his kingdom come now. Now that we're marking off days on a calendar waiting for Jesus to come and do all the work. He's saying, I gave you the keys. Get to work. So what does that look like? What does that look like, seeing His kingdom come? It looks like the great commandment. Loving God and loving others. I think about the first time, right, it's been a year now, since me and Myungwa became intern pastors here at New Philly. And I think about a year ago, I was at Mercado's with, uh, with Mina, with David Pio, and then with Gracie. Gracie Lee, a sister from Jubilee. And we were sitting there and I believe Alex, I think Alex Lim was having a birthday party or something. And we were sitting there and I was sitting there and and Pastor Paul comes in. I love Pastor Paul. God, God bless Pastor Paul. And Pastor Paul comes in. If you don't know Pastor Paul, get to know him. And, uh, <laughs> and he comes in and, and he sees me and he's like, what's up, what's up, my nin? What's up, my nin? What's up, my nin? And I'm like, nin? Man, wait, is he? And Gracie, like Gracie, Gracie, she was up front. She was like, Pastor Paul, are you calling Marcus the N-word? And I was like, oh no, right? And Pastor Paul's like, no, 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 no. I ain't calling him. What's up, man? What's up, young blood? What's up, young blood? Like he called me young blood. And I'm like, what, what does this mean? Like I've heard it before, but I, I'm not exactly sure what it means. And like he's talking, he's like, how you doing? What you, what you up to? What you up to? And then he gets all serious. And he's like, hey, check it out. I heard you become an intern pastor. Yeah. There's, there's two things you need to know. What? Check it out, young blood. Check it out. Two things you need to know. He's like, he got real serious. And he's like, love God, love people. That's all you need to know. And at the time, I was like, what just happened, right? Like, he's, he's, he's hitting me with revelation in the midst of all this, like, young blood. And I'm like, oh, and like David Pio, like he, he has David, like David's like, I don't know, about three, three years older than me. And so David's like, what, what am I? What am I? He's like, how old are you? He's like, he's like, oh, I'm just a couple years older than him. He's like, oh, you, 
you ain't a young blood, you're a mid blood. <laughs> David was like, uh. So yeah, Dave, if you're listening, just like Faye last week, we give you a shout out. Hallelujah. But Pastor Paul was on to something. What is the kingdom about? It's about loving God and loving people. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. A lot of us, we, we have a good idea to a certain extent of what it means to love God, right? Loving God, what does that mean? It means living a life where you stand in the identity of being loved and being a lover of God. That's what, that's what it's about. It's like that bridal paradigm. You know, knowing that you're the bride of Christ. That Christ is the bridegroom. He longs for you. He yearns for you. That you're, and that's something that, that God does not shy away from in the scripture, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Psalm 27, 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I will seek. That I may dwell in the house of my Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Ephesians 1, 17 to 18 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Why? That the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. We, as we become, as we are Christians, a lot of us, we're being awakened to what it means to love God. Right? And then he talks about Okay, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor, right, as yourself. And what does it say in the Bible about loving others? John fifteen, thirteen says, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Mark twelve thirty two says, The second is this, right? I just read it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Philippians 2, 3-4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Romans 10, Romans 12, 9-10 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. It doesn't matter where you look in the Bible. It's always been about the first and great commandment. See, God is calling His people in this time to love Him and to love others. A lot of you, you may be sitting there like, I've heard this before. I know this. This is foundational. What is this? But it's not foundational. It's essential. Your life has to be defined by it. It's not something that you graduate from. It's essential. This is the central message that is being preached to the, this generation right now. Is loving God and loving others. It's not any crazy prophetic word. It's this. Love God. Love people. We do this SBS here. A Sunday Bible study here at New Philly called Chase the Lion. And the guy that wrote it named Mark Batterson, he has this blog called Evotional.com. And it was funny because as I was preparing this message, last Sunday when I preached, I got all this crazy confirmation. All these crazy things were happening to let me know, okay, you're supposed to preach about what you preached about. But this week I was like, where's the, where's the, where's the crazy confirmation, Lord? Where's, where's it at, you know? Like, where's it at? And uh, last night... Me and my roommate were talking about, me and John were talking about, just asking him, are we to be a generation that goes on to do greater things? And I'm still wondering, Lord, where is this confirmation? And I go online today and I look at Evotional.com, Mark Batterson's blog, and he says, do we need another reformation? The short answer 
is yes. So what does our generation need to rediscover? What is the rallying cry of our reformation? In my humble opinion, it's love God. Simply put, we've got to be great at the great commandment. He wrote this yesterday. And I was like, oh, confirmation. There we go. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but it's about that we would be a people that know who we are, that we're loved by God and we're lovers of God, and that then we go forth to love on those around us. That we would be, as God said to Adam, we would be fruitful. We would experience a life of blessing, of inheritance, that we would see increase in God's love manifest in our lives. And we wouldn't just keep it to ourselves, but we would fulfill the second part of that and multiply. We would seek to multiply that love, that fruitfulness in the lives of those around us. It's the same call. It's always been the same. But we fall short, don't we? We fall short of loving God and loving others as Jesus commands. And why? Why do we fall so short? What is it about us, about ourselves, that lends us to fail in this area? Ask yourself right now, why do I fail at times at loving others? I'll wait. Tonight I want to present to you with a I want to present you with a possibility as to why you and I fail to love. Aside from demons, because see we have authority over them. Aside from Satan, he's under our feet. I want to present to you something about ourselves that inhibits us from love. I want you to listen to this this uh, this story. I guess this was more confirmation. This encounter with truth that I had a couple of days ago. Okay, so I'm, a, I'm an intern pastor. So I'm also, part of my internship is to be a student at Torch. And so right now we're taking this Christian counseling class, right? And so, it's a great class, hallelujah. Um, and we're taking this Christian counseling class. And part of the class is that we actually get counseling. Like we can choose to receive counseling and write a paper about our counseling sessions for like our, our paper. And so I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that because that's like the easy route, right? I don't have to do no research. I could just take that, do that, and whatever. But man, like, okay, it's like the fourth time I went. But the first two times I went, it was, it was pretty bad, I must admit. Like, I walked in there, and it was like, it was just so awkward because it was like me and this sister. She's like counseling. It's in a room, like just me and her. It's like really awkward. We're talking about like, she's like asking me how my life is and like, but the thing about her, it's really good, I guess, if you're a counselor. She never, she doesn't say anything. Like, I walk in and I sit down and she's just there and she's like. And because she doesn't say anything, I feel like compelled to talk. So like, I just start talking, I start rambling. And I'm like telling her all these things about my life, which I probably shouldn't do. But she's like listening. She's listening to me and she's like. She's just listening and like the second, one of the sessions, I got really, I was really grieved because like I've been through inner and healing and deliverance here at our church. And so I've went through all these, this inner healing process in terms of the abuse that I have in my history. I have a long history of abuse. And um, so we, but there was this one session where we were supposed to recreate it. And it was really like, I felt, I felt really like this isn't, this isn't right. I don't know why this is happening. And so I was really grieved. And then I went to the third session and we talked about it. Which I guess would happen in a counseling session. Why I was grieved. Why, why, what happened? And I said, all of a sudden I felt like God just triggered something in me. He's like, man, I have a fear of success. Because I was thinking about why over the course of my life, ever since I was three, everyone in my family has always heaped all kinds of encouragement on me. 
Marcus, you're smart. You're going to do this. I remember my uncle was like, Marcus, you're going to go. You're going to be the first black president. You're going to get this huge house. We're all going to live in it together. And you're going to do it. And I'm like five years old. And like, I'm like, okay, let's study hard. Like, you know. But also, on the flip side, I was also being in this place of a great abuse from my, from my mom's ex-boyfriend, my mom's boyfriend at the time. And so he would heap abuse on me physically, verbally, all the time. Just abuse, abuse, abuse. I walked around on my tiptoes afraid of being abused, afraid of him saying something or doing something to me. And we went through this in my inner healing session. I felt like I was free. I've forgiven him. I'm done with it. You know? And so, but I began to understand like, okay, I have this fear of success. I have a, that's what I thought it was. I had a fear that all this expectation that's been placed on my life, I'll achieve it and then I'll fail. And so then it paralyzes me to not want to do anything. Just why try if I know I'm going to fail later? If I know I'm going to be successful but then fail. And so then we talked through it the third session. Then the fourth session we come back and we're, we're talking. And all along, like, you know, she's just listening. And then she stops and she's like, you know what? You've been pretty honest with me. I'm going to be honest with you. So, sure, okay. Lay it on me. And then she's like, I don't think you have a fear of success or failure. I think you have a fear of punishment. And I was like, a light bulb went off. And I realized that over the course of my life, everything I did was out of a fear that the people around me, the people that I loved, people in authority, would see me for the failure that I thought I was, and they would punish me. All throughout high school, all in college, every relationship I was in, that was my biggest fear. Man, one of these days she's going to see how worthless I am, and she'll she'll leave me. Every even even becoming a pastor, even being a Christian, just this huge fear that I'm going to do something wrong, and then I'm going to get punished for it. I was so afraid; it paralyzed me. Why give myself to something if I know I'm going to fail, and I'm going to get punished for it? And I realized that that fear of punishment that I had, it also caused me to be very controlling. In relationships in the past, I would be very, very jealous because I had this fear of punishment. Therefore, I thought I needed to control the situation to make sure that they, oh, that they don't know or that if they do know, oh, well, then they won't leave. That I thought I could control everything around me. That I could work in some kind of way. Even my relationship with God. I remember Pastor Christian, me and him would do accountability. And every time we'd, we'd meet for, right before we meet for accountability, I'd be completely terrified. Like I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, what, what, what's going to happen? And I was like, maybe I should lie. And then I'd be like, wait, wait, he'll know, he'll know, he'll know I'm lying. And then I'm going to get punished even worse. Oh my gosh. And so I go into our accountability meetings completely terrified. Because I knew that he was going to ask me certain questions that I knew the answer to. And they weren't good answers. And therefore he was going to punish me. My biggest fear was that he was going to look at me and he was going to say, Dude, just get out of my face, man. Just, just leave. How dare you continue to fail like this? You're wasting my time. And it was so funny because that's not what would happen when I'd go into the meetings. I'd go in with all this fear of punishment and then I'd be like, okay, this is what happens. And he'd be like, well, bro, there's grace. And he'd be like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But so often, each one of us, we live according to that fear of punishment. We look at our relationship with God in the same way. I better not do this. Oh, I've done this. 
Oh man, God's going to look at me. He's going to see how sinful I am. He's going to see how much I fail. How awful I am. And He's going to reject me. I need to do something to make sure He doesn't see it. We have this fear of punishment. And it inhibits us from love. And let me explain. 1 John 4 says, There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And then it goes on to say, we love. Why? Because he first loved us. See, what you have to understand is having that fear. See, it may not be a fear of punishment for you. It may not be that kind of fear. It may not be this fear that the people who put expectation on your lives are going to punish you. It may be another fear that you're holding on to. But that fear is a sign of imperfection in love. See, you and I don't fully love because there's areas in our lives that we have not fully given over to God. For me, it was areas in my life concerning It was an area of identity knowing that I'm affirmed and loved by the Father. Because that area I had not given over to God, I couldn't fully love. It's We have not given ourselves over to the love of God, but instead there are areas in deep, deep places in our lives where we built up walls to protect ourselves from the wrath and punishment of God. We think that if God sees this area of ourselves, if He sees this area of my sin, if He sees what I do at this place, if He sees how wretched we truly are, if He sees that place, He will have no choice but to punish me. And it's an area of our identity. It's not an area of sin that we haven't gotten over. It's an area of identity that has not been reshaped. It's an area of our heart and of our mind that has not been transformed and renewed. See, that that fear of punishment, that fear that God was going to punish me no matter what I did, and then that fear that was given over to man as well, it was a part of my old self. That had not been, it's not dead yet. See, what you, God has given each one of us the inner desire to be loved, right? To be loved for who we are as we are. God has given us that desire. Each one of us, we want to be loved for who we are as we are. Regardless of not, regardless of not, if you're a Christian, if you're a Muslim, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, a Mooney, an atheist. Every single person yearns to be affirmed and loved for who they are as they are. And we all want to be loved. Why? Because we know that at a certain level, we all fall short. We want to be loved for who we are as we are because we know we fall short. You talk to an atheist on the street. They may tell you they don't believe in God, but they have an understanding that they fall short. And they also have a desire to be loved for who they are as they are. Therefore, we bring, we build walls to try and protect ourselves from punishment, from feeling rejected and disapproved. And it's these areas of our lives, of ourselves, that inhibit us from loving God and loving others the way that Jesus tells us to. See, what happens is when you have a fear of punishment, when you have a fear that God is going to reject you, you have built that wall, right? You try to safeguard that place in your identity. And because that place still exists in you, your natural reaction is to try and cover that up, to try and control that place on your own. It's like how I talked about on Sunday. We get the being and the doing mixed up. Because our identity is not fixed in God, we think we can work for it. 
We think that we should work to try and achieve who we are. We think that we can control these areas where we fall short on our own. And see, when our relationship with God is one where there's holes, areas of sin, areas of misplaced and broken identity, we become shameful, disillusioned, and we think that we can cover up our own shame. We try to work to bring about the wholeness in ourselves. We try to make ourselves whole. See, we think that the way we live our lives will make us better people. We think that what we do characterizes who we are. Oh, I'm, I'm a good Christian because I pray every day. I'm a good Christian because I read my Bible. I'm a good Christian. We think that what we do is what makes us that. But if that's not the way God looks at it at all. We think that what we do characterizes who we are when it's not that way. Because if what we do is who we are, what do you say to the Christian who's addicted to pornography? What do you say to the Christian that is bulimic? What do you say to the Christian who's been abused and rejected their entire life? If what they do is who they are. What do you say to the the young person who has no job, doesn't really understand things but loves the Lord? They're immature. What do you say to them? Is what they do, does that characterize who they are? See, do you tell them that they are what they are? No. God doesn't look at you and tell you that you are what you are he calls things that are not as though they were see it's about see sin all it does is gives a a picture as to what is going on inside the broken identities because our being is jacked up we think that we can do something to make it right we try to achieve something that can only be received We try to achieve something that cannot be attained. It can only be received. So much of our Christian walk is trying to achieve something that God has already given. To achieve what we've already received. And we begin to use the things of this world. The things in our lives. Relationships. Even our church body. Not just bad things. We begin to use all things in this world as a means for our own transformation when we ourselves are supposed to be the means for this world's transformation we try to use the I'm going to say it again we try to use the things in this world to bring about our own transformation when we ourselves are supposed to be the means for this world's transformation when we ourselves are supposed to be the means to love others But instead, we use those relationships to try and love ourselves. And the result is that all the works and all the things that we involve ourselves in become twisted. Because we seek to manipulate God and those around us to meet our own needs for love and a whole identity. It's about coming into a place of wholeness in God. I want you to listen to this quote from this book I'm reading called Invitation to a Journey by M. Robert Mulholland. He said, Wherever there is something in our life that is not conformed to the image of Christ, there is a place where we are incapable of being all that God wants us to be with others. There is a place where our life with others is hindered and limited and restricted in its effectiveness and in its fullness. There is a place where our life will tend to become disruptive and even destructive to others. We can never be all that God wants us to be with others as long as that point of unlikeness to the image of Christ exists within us. Wherever this is the case, this place of unlikeness, our relationship with others will be controlled 
not by God's will, but by our own agenda. Our relationship with others at that point will become manipulative as we attempt to impose our agenda on them. If others do not readily succumb to our manipulations, we tend to become abusive with them or break the relationship entirely. See, the areas that we refuse to submit unto unto God are the areas of our lives where we are hindered in loving others. Why? Because that relationship, you begin to approach it with a workspace mentality. You bec- we become willing to manipulate, sacrifice, or even break relationship in order to achieve a false sense of security and wholeness in an area that we have not fully submitted over to God. As much as we want to seek to pray the prayers, walk the walk, talk the talk, it can't come out of place where we're trying to manipulate others in God to make us whole. If it's coming out of a place to manipulate God and others to give us the things that we want and desire, it's not love. It's not coming out of a place of perfect love, but fear. John 4, 1 John 4, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Jesus said it like this in John fifteen five. I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and I in him. He it is that will bear much fruit. You stay in me. You stay in my love. If my perfect love covers you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. What Jesus was saying here was pointing to identity. Pointing to the fact that if we are not abiding in him, if there's areas that have not been brought under the Lordship of Christ, it doesn't matter what we do. He considers it nothing. Isaiah 64, 6, Our righteous acts are like a polluted garment, like filthy rags, when it's not coming out of a place of love, when it's not coming out of a place of wholeness. I know this word is hard, I think that's the point. See, it's like the people pleaser who thinks that because they smile and because they can manipulate relationships around them to get a desired result, that is for everyone to like them, everyone to affirm them, that they're somehow righteous and actually loving others. It's not love if you allow people to run over you. It's not love when you allow people to treat you less than human because you fear that if you speak up and you stop appeasing to them in that way that they will disapprove you. That's not love. Love is is speaking to those people. Telling them where they're sinning. See, it's... I was reading in a book by John Bevere. He was talking about how when we seek the people, please, it's not, it's not about the people at all. It's about us. We're being selfish. We're manipulating that relationship to get something for ourselves. And we don't care about the person's walk. We don't care about the person's sin. We don't care about speaking to them in love. It's about us. It's like a a brother that has lust problems who manipulates every relationship to meet his desire to be affirmed, to know that he's treasured, to know that someone finds him attractive. That's not love. We'd be quick to say that's not love. Or what about the person who would rather not be up front with the brother and sister around them because they're afraid of being punished for saying how they really feel? See, all of us in one way or another, in one way, in one area where we have not given that thing over to God, we try to manipulate relationship in that area to get what we want. 
because we are afraid of being punished if those around us see that area. That place where we lack in our identity, where we're trying to block God from touching us in that place. We then try to work for it and we manipulate people around us to touch that place. See, a relationship should be defined by you serving someone else. But when you enter in that relationship, that friendship, that whatever with fear, immediately what happens is you place an expectation on that person. You're expecting that person now to meet your area of lack in your identity. To soothe your area of anxiety. And now where you were supposed to enter that relationship serving that person, that person is now serving you. But what now? Okay? There's this place of brokenness where we manipulate relationships, where we allow, we allow, we don't conform to the image of Christ and we allow these areas to hinder us from loving others. What now? What happens? John points to it in verse 19. First John 4.19 He says, We love because He first loved us. It's the cross. We are to go to the cross. Jesus, he pointed to the cross as well. We are to go to the cross. Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor in the second part of that, right? He said, love God. Then he said, the second is, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. A lot of times I read this and I, I add in my own like little bit right there and I say love your neighbor as you love yourself but notice Jesus didn't say love your neighbor as you love yourself no Jesus said you shall love your neighbor as yourself because see Jesus understands Jesus knows the temptation here the temptation in this great commandment and try and follow me on this Jesus knows the temptation here in the great commandment is for you to fall so in love. You're loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and your strength. The temptation is for it to become just about you and God. The temptation is for it to become just about you and Jesus having a small Jesus party. It becomes something self-centered. It becomes chiefly about you growing in God and because no one else is involved it becomes chiefly about you becoming a better Christian I love God I just want to love God more I just want to know more about God I don't need any of this other stuff I just want to know more about God just me and God it's just me and you God and it becomes just about you becoming a better Christian but see being a Christian has never been about becoming a better Christian. Loving God has never been about becoming a better Christian. It's never been about doing anything. It's always been about being in love with Jesus out of a response of who He is and out of His great love and then loving others. You and I are not called to be better to become better Christians. You and I are not called to become better Christians. We're called to be lovers of God and to be lovers of people. See, people who are focused on becoming better Christians become better Pharisees. If your focus is on becoming a better Christian, you won't become a better Christian, you'll become a better Pharisee. You get what I'm trying to say? That is because if your focus is all about yourself, all about you, 
It's not going to be about other people. And in the end, it won't even be about God. See, Jesus called us to reject the temptation to love others as we love ourselves. But to instead love others as ourselves. Jesus understood that when you love God and you begin to enter into a relationship with God and your eyes are awakened to His love, you're rocked at the core and you begin to love God back, the temptation is for you to turn all that attention back to yourself again. The temptation is to love yourself. You don't think the Pharisees didn't love God? In their hearts, I'm fairly certain they had... A genuine belief that the Pharisees, when they, when they did their things, they did all these works. It was all about them and God. It wasn't about anyone else. Deep in each one of their hearts was a belief and at some level a desire. But it was turned around to themselves. But see, what Jesus is saying is where this temptation exists, where this temptation exists for everything to become about yourself, he says, love others. Don't even think about yourself. Where this temptation, after you're, you're in love with God, you're loving God as he's reflecting his love to you and you're reflecting love back to him, instead of it just becoming about this little relationship, love others. He's saying reject that temptation for you to just crawl into your Christian corner. Love others. See, Jesus is pointing. He's pointing to the cross. When he says that, he's pointing to the cross. He's saying, if anyone believes in me, he's got to pick up his cross and follow me. You got to love others. You got to die to yourself. Those areas where you've been loving yourself, holding on to areas of yourself that you have been to work to achieve, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. He says, die to yourself and love others. I want us to all turn to Philippians 2. And I'm going to read from verses 1 to 8. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus embodied what the great commandment's about about loving God and loving others. This fear of punishment, this fear of rejection, whatever areas in your heart that have been broken, that you're trying to work to achieve, Jesus is saying, just die to yourself and receive. Jesus calls us to love God and love others by humbling ourselves. See, pride is thinking that you can work for something that can only be given. 
says, humble ourselves, take on the form of a servant. And in every area of our lives that we've held on to, every fear, every work of manipulation, all the fear of punishment, nailing it to the cross and dying to it completely. It is when we die to ourselves, when we die to our fears, when we die to this world, that we find the strength and the peace to love perfectly. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 12 of 1 John 4. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. What empowers you to love others as Christ calls us to love, to love others as ourselves, to place others where we, should, where we feel like we should stand, to instead place someone else there? It's the cross. It's dying to ourselves and being made perfect in love. Let's pray. I want us to take this time and before we do anything else I want us to just sit and I want us to just be silent before the Lord and allow I want you to allow the Holy Spirit where there's been walls in your life where you've been holding on to things maybe even the Holy Spirit as I was preaching was revealing areas where maybe you've sought to manipulate relationships and not and it's hindering love I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal those areas in your heart it's painful it's tough but God says on the other end of that is His perfect love on the other end of that facing that area of your heart is His grace His mercy His steadfast love that endures forever so I want you to take this time and in silence I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to touch your heart and then I'll lead us to pray. <clears throat>